You have been listening to uh, King Charles III as he talks about the changes that are happening in Great Britain because of the passing of the Queen. And uh, it, it was an interesting – I was reading – I don't know anything about the monarchy. I, I'm not a student of it. Um, and so I was watching about the changes that are happening with the over 70-year reign of the Queen and how many significant changes uh, and maybe not major changes. They're going to change the national anthem. It will now be God Save the King, not God Save the Queen. That may, That's an obvious change. Their currency will change. The pound note is uh, going to have to change. Now, they won't get rid of the old ones, but they will phase them out and all the new currency that will be printed on the pound will be the picture of the king and it's been for over 70 years the picture of the queen uh they've got to change some of the flags and the things that are happening as the roles change we're now going to see a new prince of wales and princess of wales um and so for americans it's a little bit foreign with the titles and how this works and i'll be honest i'm not i'm not a big student of this either but significant for the world if you remember We've been talking all day long about 9-11. Um, uh, uh, the, the Brits were the first people that came to our aid. And now we go back. It's, it's interesting in the, the separation back in the American Revolution we talk about. But in World War II, it was D-Day, and it was the Americans, the Allied forces that were able to win in World War II with the help of the Americans on D-Day. And then when we as a nation were attacked in, in 2001, with what happened on September 11th, it was the Queen of England who went kind of against the grain – and she was uh, she had them play the American national anthem. Um, it was uh, it was a, a sign of friendship that had not been expressed so eloquently before. It was a, a there was a it's the strongest friendship we have. Um, and so with this change that's happening, there will be a change in relationship because you're going to have a change in leadership. And uh, the way that they do things is different than the way we do. But how will it change the relationship between our countries? Um, and and I don't, I'm not going to get at all political about any of this. But you do know that the one thing that, that Prince Charles was such of and now King Charles was such a champion for was fighting climate change. That was a cause that was number one in his book as, as Prince of Wales, what he was doing. And so he is going to have an ally in Joe Biden. And what that means for the world, I don't know. But on other things now, there's there is going to be a definite relationship change that will happen between our nation and theirs. But worldwide, the significance of this, she has met uh, the Queen of England had met with 13 sitting U.S. presidents, 13. Uh, That is a reign of a long time and consistency. And now we have seen in recent weeks the changing of their prime minister. Now we have got the the monarchy changes now we now have king charles the third how will this affect the rest of the world at a time when we know that europe as a whole but great britain as well are going through some significant trials when it comes to oil and it comes to fuel because of what's happening with russia and ukraine and so this is a time of turmoil in many cases where the queen had always been such a steadfast uh you know just a source of of uh consistency now we are seeing such change happen in that country a nation that's mourning and a nation that's been so close to the U.S. And so that's why we, we took the uh, the king's comments this morning as it seemed directed somewhat to the rest of the world. But for the most part, he was speaking to the British people and how the changes will be coming. And this is what's going to happen, his focus and his dedication to his job, but also the seriousness that the family is taking it as their roles change in royalty and how it all changes. So it's, it's a fascinating time. Um, 
We got so much more to talk about this morning. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we are going to speak with Lieutenant Timothy Klett with Engine 88 in the Bronx. He was there on 9-11 and went through what every other person in New York and especially the firefighters and first responders endured. But he has also been a fireman for 40 years, 31 of them with FDNY. I'm going to talk with him about the rebuilding of that agency, rebuilding of public safety in New York, um, you know, enduring the loss of all those lives, but also um, the uh, the persevering and making sure that that agency stayed strong. So we'll do that at the bottom of the hour. Coming up in a moment, we'll talk about a few different things that we've had going on this morning. So we'll get to it all. Please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here in about 15 minutes. We are going to speak with Lieutenant Timothy Klett from the FDNY. He is with Engine 88 in the Bronx. He's of 40 years as a firefighter, 31 of them with FDNY, including 9-11. So we are going to talk about reflection with him. We've been doing it all morning long, um, and we've been having, we've had great guests from here in the Valley with connections, uh, deep, deep connections to 9-11. Um, and we're going to speak with Lieutenant Klett, and we're going to speak with him about the rebuilding of the fire department, what it took and how many years and the changes that were brought in as they tried to keep that city safe. And uh, they also had to, at the same time, rebuild and retrain and do all these other things. So that happens in about 15 minutes. Um, before, in the, la- in the end of the last segment, as I was talking about the changes coming for the British people and, and all of Europe and maybe all of the world to some degree uh, with the passing of the Queen and now uh, King Charles III taking the throne, um, he was explaining his role and how it's going to change. And we've also talked about some of the turmoil in Europe that's happening right now because of fuel prices, because of energy expectations, what will happen in the winter months, what's happening because they get so much of their oil supply from Russia. And Russia has been threatening because of sanctions against them. They may cut Europe off and they are going to ration and they may price control and other things might happen. Uh, it's something that I've, uh, we've been talking about for quite a while. We are in a position now where we have a, a White House that believes that the number one issue that is threatening the United States and the world is climate change, that everything they do, in my opinion, everything they do flows out of that mindset. So we have made a concerted effort as a nation through this president, through policy changes and legislative changes. We are going to see tax increases. We are going to see re- we have already seen regulatory uh, increases and changes. And that's going to continue. Um, And at a time when we are watching OPEC say we are going to reduce production of oil by 100,000 barrels per day, the president is now saying we may continue to release oil from the oil reserve um, past election day, possibly because of what's happening with the slowdown. And this is where my difference of opinion comes in. I don't agree. I'm being totally honest. I don't. And the president has a right to do. Be, what he wants to do. I mean, that's what you, when you elect a president, elections have consequences to the victor go the spoils. So I'm not complaining that he's doing, and he has a right to do it. I disagree with the idea that we are going to push as hard as we are and as fast as we are to try to change to what they call um, renewable energy. Um, because I don't think it's practical the way that they're trying to do it. But I will say that while the world still needs fossil fuels, giving up the responsibility and the ability to produce enough to be self-sufficient has made us weaker as a country. Now, I'm not saying it's a World War III threat, but it has made us weaker as a country. We now see the OPEC nation saying, you know what? We're going to slow down production. 
prices are going to go up a little bit, but we're slowing down. We're going to slow down production. We don't have that major seat at the table we did before with our ability to produce and be energy independent. We could dictate. We did. We had more of a seat at the table in dictating what happened. It is set by the world. But we had a seat at that table with our own ability to be energy independent. We don't have that any longer. We have been telling the fossil fuel industry since the beginning of this presidency, or at least when it became clear that he had won the presidency, he told them that we are coming after you, that we are going to move in the direction of battery-operated vehicles and all this other stuff, and we're basically going to wipe you out. Well, the oil industry has a responsibility to themselves and to their shareholders to say we've got to do what's best for us. We are not going to invest billions of dollars in exploration and drilling and updating our refining capabilities. We're not going to spend billions and billions of dollars doing that while we know you are going to tear us apart a bit by bit. Look what's happening with California and other states are going to outlaw the manufacturing and sales of of gas-powered vehicles in less than 15 years. Why would that that industry be on a path of growth when that's what they're being told? So that's what we have to watch for. I just think that as long as the world needs fossil fuels, we should lead the world in the production of them. We're better at it than almost every other country on the planet. I think that's the direction we should go. All right, coming up in a few moments, uh, Lieutenant Timothy Klett will join us from FDNY in the Bronx, and we're going to talk with him about the rebuilding of the fire department in the wake of 9-11. Please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. the world stop turning. That's September day. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the Mike Broomhead Show. We have been, uh, because Sunday is the 21st anniversary of the attacks on 9-11, we have focused so much of the show this morning remembering with stories of uh, my friend Mike McAvoy, whose brother was with Ladder 3 in Lower Manhattan. Um, his best friend was working in the towers. And most recently, we spoke with Mike Angeloni, who was retired from the New York Fire Department. Uh, his last call that he served with them was... Uh, the first bombing of the World Trade Centers in the 90s. He then went back after 9-11 and worked for 12 days uh, doing search and rescue on the rubble. Joining us now is Lieutenant Timothy Klett, Engine 88 in the Bronx. Uh, Lieutenant Klett, thank you for doing this. Oh, no worries at all. No worries. I, I appreciate you having me. Um, uh, first of all, I, I, I know this has got to be an emotional weekend for you. Can you give us uh, can you give us just a little insight? Where were you on 9-11 when the call went out? Can you tell us about that day for you personally? Sure. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's something that's really embedded in my memory. I was working that morning. I was supposed to get off at uh, nine o'clock in the morning and uh, we were coming downstairs into the kitchen when they announced a um, a third alarm for the World Trade Center for a plane into the building. And, uh, you know, like uh, like if you understand the New York City Fire Department, uh, multiple alarms at the World Trade Center are not very uncommon because they're so big and they housed so many people that we would need the resources there to deal with just evacuation. Even for like an elevator motor, you'd have a, a multiple alarm fire there. But the third alarm for a plane was different. Um, you know, it was something that we didn't uh, we didn't expect. And uh, as soon as I got into the house watch, because um, I was up in Harlem at the time, which is almost the northern tip of Manhattan. I worked in 69 engine as a fireman uh, in Harlem at the time. 
And uh, as soon as I walked in the house watch, um, I realized that um, just by the size of the hole, that it, it couldn't be a small plane. But even at that point, nobody... Nobody thought terrorism. They just, you know, it was just, okay, you know, planes, that's a, that's a route that goes in LaGuardia all the time. So, uh, you know, we didn't think anything bad any, on purpose, malicious, until the second plane struck. <clears throat> I've watched, like many Americans, we've watched the documentaries of what that day was like. And I know it cannot, it, be, uh, it, it can't compare to being there. Being there when this was happening, what was what was that like? What was it like going through your mind knowing that other firefighters were running into that building and that some of them probably weren't coming out? Well, uh, I think that most guys that were working that day, uh, myself included, um, you know, we went down later on. We went down mm-hmm. just after the South Tower had collapsed and got there just prior to the North Tower collapsing. And, um, you know, I, I got to believe that, that most guys you know, felt the same way I did. They wanted to be somewhere else, but we all knew that we had a job to do and, and, um, you know, it's, it's what we do. And so, you know, we dug in and, you know, we brushed ourselves off and, and we tried to do the best we could do that day under extraordinary circumstances. Um, I know that a lot of people, you know, you hear a lot of stories from friends of mine of, of, you know, one that survived and one didn't shaking hands in the lobby saying, Hey, uh, I, I hope to see you when this is all over, another guy saying, hey, I don't think I'm going to see you again. Uh, but they still went and did their job. I mean, extraordinary, extraordinary bravery um, by those men that were in that building that day. One thing that we've not focused on on the show, and we talk about this every year on the anniversary, as close to the anniversary as we can, is we, the rebuilding of the New York Fire Department, that you've been with the agency for such a long time, what, forty over 40 years as a firefighter, but 31 years with FDNY. Can, what was it like being a part of the rebuilding of that agency and, and, and bringing on new firefighters, but also the replacement of equipment while you were still trying to keep that city safe? Um, well, the New York City Fire Department is, is a very, very big agency. And, um, you know, even during the World Trade Center event, we were handling incidents throughout the city. We, we had other fires that were actually going on at the same time that we were dealing with. Um, I, I was part of that field, I guess you call it battlefield promotion groups. Um, right after the 11th, they started promoting guys right away and some guys didn't even get their officers training they got promoted and they were thrown right into the field and then later on they took them out of the field and they went through what we call flips is that uh, first line supervised program um the apparatus there was apparatus coming in from places all over the country um that were buying apparatus for the city uh some of them unfortunately be, you know because of our specs um we were using we used one for a caisson rig which came in very handy a caisson rig is what they put the casket on and um it's got plenty of use um that rig there um but you know we've lost that day so much experience that that's irreplaceable you know, guys that had been around when New York City was exceptionally busy in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, um, that experience was gone forever. And, and I'm not saying that the people we got weren't dedicated and good. Um, it's very, very hard to replace that experience of, of, you know, going to fires day in and day out and, and still doing your job. But, you know, we did it, I believe, as good as any agency could do that and, and rebuild with so many people killed and then so many people leaving with injuries and um, trying to train young firefighters to the level of those guys 
that that day said, hey, listen, I don't know if I'm going to see you again, but I, I still have a job to do. You know, so uh, we, we did the best we could. I think we did a great job rebuilding that uh, fire department. Was, um, it's, it's, excuse me? was recruiting difficult or was recruiting easy? Were people wanting to step up to the plate and do their job, mm-hmm. do that job? I don't think recruiting for us was an issue. Um, you know, as far as being a firefighter uh, anywhere in the country, that's a very sought after job. It's, you know, I have a couple of sons that are Baltimore city firemen now, and I tell them all the time and Baltimore is a great job with a great tradition. And I tell them you're playing for a major league ball club. It's just not the Yankees. And and that's kind of what New York city is. You know, we, we, and, and I'm not, you know, there are great fire departments in this country. Um, but New York city was the one that everybody looked at, looked for, for answers. And, um, um, so I don't think recruiting was an issue. Uh, I think that a lot of guys um, stepped up to the plate and said, hey, yeah, I still want this job. I understand the hazards, but, you know, this is what I want to do. Do you, um, if this isn't too personal, the question, how do you, how do you, what do you do on 9-11? Is, is there anything particular you do? Do you reach out to a specific people? Um, what do you do on that day? Well, you know, it's not, it's not really a personal question. And, you know, for the first few years after the 11th, I would say for the first four years, I I didn't do anything. I stayed home. I took my kids out of school. We went fishing. We went to the park. We played baseball. And, uh, and that's what I did for those first few years. And then, you know, there was memorials and, you know, people said to me, you know, Timmy, you, you don't go to any of these memorials. And my answer to that was, you know, 9-11 took more days away from me than I care to to count. If it's going to take another day, it's going to be on my terms. And so, you know, after the four or five years that I took my kids out of school, I've been uh, I've been reading names at the Firefighters Memorial on Hunter Street every year for the last 15, 16 years. And as a matter of fact, I'm actually preparing to drive the 12 hours back up to New York uh, to read my names on, on Sunday because I'm just not willing to give them up yet. So I, I got about 50 names that I read at the memorial services at uh, the Fireman's Monument on 100th Street and Riverside Drive. And, and that's what I do. Lieutenant Klett, I, I can't thank you enough for joining the, the Arizona audience. I, I think that it is so important that we remember this time um, and keep uh, heroes like yourself and the, and, the, and, and the men and women you serve with in the fire department, not just the lives lost, but the people that carried on. We've got to keep that memory alive. And the best way to do that is real life stories of people that were there. And yours has been so important today. So thank you so much. Well, well, first of all, this one, I'm not a hero. I'm just a guy that did my job. Mm. You know, all the heroes are still there. You know, those are the guys that are really the true heroes that day. I'm, I'm just a guy that, you know, did my job to the best of my ability. And, and I do agree that um, we need to remember for a lot of reasons for, for the sacrifices made by not just the firemen, you know, the firemen that were lost, but, but everybody that was killed on that day, whether it's the Pentagon or Shanksville or the World Trade Center. And, and we can't forget because there are still some very bad people out there, you know. Yeah, well said. So I would say. I always say it was the day that the the um, people say it's the day that the worst of humanity was on display for the world to see. But I always counter that and say, I think it was a day where the best of humanity was on display for the world to see, you know, how people can come together and, and in the face of such diversity, you know, do great things. And I think that's you know why we should remember that day. That's so well said. Uh, Lieutenant, thank you again for coming on and sharing your story with us. Uh, no worries. Thank you very much.
All right, that is Lieutenant Timothy Klett from uh, FDNY. I'm not, I'm not one to pick a fight with a guest, but I would certainly argue the fact when he says he's not a hero. That, that is the epitome of heroism, to not only uh, live through that day, but also then to carry on and help rebuild that agency and train new firefighters and continue to do that, that, that job for 40-plus years uh, in honor to talk with him. Um, we're not done talking about 9-11. We're going to be doing this throughout the day in a moment. Uh, study on health and safety in, of Americans. And uh, it, it really was a startling statistic. We're going to get to that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News. 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thank you for being here. We are going to spend, uh, We have every year we do this as a tribute to keep the memory alive of the heroes uh, that lost their lives and those that saved so many lives um, on 9-11. And in the last half hour of the show, we're going to kind of uh, give you a synopsis. We've had some great guests on today. Mike McAvoy, who is, is on with me every year, has become a very close friend. Um, and uh, McAvoy had lost his brother, John, and his best friend, Jimmy. His brother was a firefighter. His best friend worked in the towers. Uh, a compelling story, but an inspirational one. Uh, my friend Mike Angeloni, who retired FDNY in the 90s, but also went back after 9-11 and spent 12 days doing search and rescue on the rubble with uh, fellow firefighters. And most recently, we had uh, Lieutenant Timothy Klett, who was first-time guest on the show, um, who has been a firefighter for 40 years, 40 years, 31 of them with FDNY, and uh, helped rebuild that agency. Not not him alone, but with other firefighters that survived to try to replace and train another generation of firefighters to hold to the standard of FDNY. It, and compelling all three from different angles and compelling. And we're going to let you hear a little bit of each of them uh, coming up in the final half hour of the show, for, so from about 11.35 until the end of the show. Um, it's just such memories that day. Uh, I, w- I was going to shift to a health and safety thing, but um, I, I, I was just talking to uh, – I, I want um, – Julia is the producer of the show, and uh, Julia, you are – you're a New, you're a New Yorker. I am, uh, but th- this is where we we joke about this often. But I think there's significance here. We joke about the age difference. You know, I'm more than twice your age. I remember exactly where I was when this happened. But you were a child in New York and really didn't know the significance of what was happening until years later. No, I didn't. And should I tell the story? If you'd like, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit of it. Sure. So I have a weird memory, and I didn't understand the significance of that memory until I was much older, until I told my mom about that day. My dad worked in the city. He worked uh, about three miles away from the World Trade Center building, obviously. And uh, he walked into the city when he got into work. Um, Everything was under lockdown. They were sending anybody who was coming into work right into the basement. My mom couldn't get a hold of him for hours. So what happened next was I rem- what I remember was sitting in my high chair and I remember looking at my mom and she was on the phone. She puts the phone down and she says something to the like of, we well, have to go pick up your dad at the train. That never happened because my dad always walked home from work after he got off the train. So the behind the scenes is 
when my mom finally got a hold of him and was like, hey, we need to get you out of there. It doesn't matter what train, get on any train, I'll pick you up. We drove about 45 minutes. I think I fell asleep in the car. But long story short, I wake up in the car, we're parked. And I remember my dad walking off the platform. My mom got out of the car and she and my dad hugged on the right side of the passenger's car for about two minutes. Mm. My little brain is thinking, I just want to go home. Why are we doing this? Why are they hugging? And I don't really remember much after that. But when I finally told my mom that story, she was just like, why do you remember 9-11? Yeah. But the memories for you now growing up as a New Yorker and the significance in the school system and talking about it, um, now you it, it's got to be a, a memory for you that you're glad you have of your parents. Yes, I'm very thankful that my dad was nowhere near that accident. Um, but for everyone in my family, we all go through something different. My dad, he can't watch any news on that day. Mm-hmm. He can't watch the buildings burning down. He can't like tune into any kind of news. He just It just pains him. Well, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your personal experience. Thank you. Um, at the, these are the reason keeping this memory alive and, and making sure that Americans never forget the sacrifice that was made that day, the horrific attacks that also brought out the best in who we are. Uh, the country came together. Um, one of the memories I'll never forget was the entire United States Congress standing on the steps of the Capitol building and singing God Bless America. Republicans, Democrats, shoulder to shoulder singing God Bless America in a, in a show of, of not only unity, but a show of strength that you are going to pull off such a horrific attack, not only in New York, but in Washington, D.C., in that plane that went down in Shanksville. You're going to pull off a horrific attack, and you've damaged us, but you are going to bring us closer together, not further apart. And I, uh, the significance of that was, was remarkable to me. Um, what we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is we're going to go back to schools, the correlation between COVID-19 and test scores. We're going to talk about all of that and its significance next.